0: Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., I'm just back last night from San Francisco. I know you are. And it was fascinating. I met with a big software company there called Genesis, Uh and Genesis has 12,000 employees, Uh $1.5 billion company, I think. They had 1,500 sales reps in the room and spoke to them. You've worked a lot with yep. Genesis. So yeah. I've worked a lot with them. It's been incredibly challenging to f- help them figure out how to say what they do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you know, a couple of private equity firms have bought them, and they're buying up other software companies. And and they do a lot. They do a lot of yeah. stuff. And now yeah. they've got this whole cloud thing going on and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, a real fun challenge for yeah. StoryBrand. But I think we had a breakthrough. And I think some of our listeners are going to learn from this breakthrough because it took... Hours and hours to get here. Yes. What Genesis really does, the majority of what they do, is, you know how if you call American Airlines, you've missed your flight, or mm-hmm. your flight is delayed, or whatever, you call American Airlines. Uh-huh. And they answer the phone, hi, JJ, I know you just missed your flight.
1: Yes. <laughs> that's their yeah. software. That's a little bit creepy. It yes. is. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: their software that's making that stuff happen. Yeah. And they called it, oh, what were they calling it? Communication platforms. Communication platforms. Yeah variable customer solutions, customer yeah. service integration. And we finally came up with, and they're not going to run with this yet because we have a lot more work to do, customer service automation. Yeah. So we think about email marketing automation, but customer service automation software kind of says it. It took yeah. days to yes. get there. <laughs> but anyway, I hope they run with that. But it was really fun to teach 1,500 people how to communicate clearly for a company that they're 1.5 billion. I think they could go to 3 billion if they could just explain in five seconds what they do. Yeah. Imagine going to 1.5 billion with 12,000 employees yeah. and not be able to explain very yeah. easily what you do. <laughs> now, if you sit down with a sales rep over lunch, you're going to totally understand it by the end of that yes, lunch. Yeah. But you don't always get a lunch. Yeah. You know, you well, get it, the lunch by explaining it. In some other. When ways. I
1: first started working with them, I remember sitting down and they were explaining it to me. And I'm like, oh, well, clearly I'm not your customer and you know your customer. So We can still use this language. And after a few hours with them, I was like, oh, hold up.
0: I had the exact same thing. I am your customer. Like,
1: I actually, our story brand needs this, and the way you're communicating it is not working. Because our Zendesk
0: customer service tickets don't really talk to our Infusionsoft tagging that doesn't talk to our live stuff, you know, phone calls. And they integrate all of that. So your customers have this incredibly seamless experience where they feel like they're known. Yeah. And it happens with software telling human beings who this person is. So we've all had the experience where you're on hold and then hey I'm going to transfer you to so and so and then the second person says okay tell me what's going on and yeah. you really you just told the other person <laughs> yeah. what's going on. Yeah. They take care of all of that. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, they're just
1: fun people. <laughs> yeah, they're
0: they're crazy fun people. Anyway, I was there, and so while I was there, I met with a guy named Brian Brown, and he is chief business officer of a company called Brave, and this is really what I wanted to talk about. Uh Brave is a web browser. Peter Thiel is funding this web browser, one of the primary funders of the web browser, that doesn't let major corporations steal your data or follow you or any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so I'm ankle deep, and we're going to go here on another episode of the StoryBrand podcast because I'm very, very interested in it. Yeah. Because we're trying to help Brian and Brave explain why everybody should use Brave, the web browser, instead of Safari, Firefox, or Chrome. Yeah. And Brian says to me, well, did you know Google has three gigabytes of data on every... Person who uses yeah. it, <laughs> which is to which that is creepy
1: beyond beyond. I mean, I remember the like scares. we kind of know this, like intuitively. You are like, oh yeah, there is information about me out there, but when you like quantify it like that, that's when it gets a little scary.
0: Yeah, but then I was saying to Brian, look, like Betsy and I just put an Amazon Echo in our kitchen. I have a newish F one fifty that I can look on my phone if it gets stolen, it tells me where it is. Yeah, those kinds of things. And people say to me, Don, you realize these corporations, the government knows everywhere you go in this F-150, to which I say, then they know I'm at Kroger.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Then they know
0: I'm at the grocery store. I I can't imagine anybody being more (laughs) bored than having to find out what Don Miller is doing. And Betsy said the same thing. It's like, they're listening to us through that Amazon Echo. They're listening to us in the kitchen. And they're listening to us. In a very boring conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we're exchanging Russian secrets yeah. here. And Betsy's got the little piece of tape over her camera on uh-huh. her phone. And I'm yeah. like, "You're really just gonna don shave today, or don did not <laughs> shave today? I don't. I mean, what else are you gonna see? Yeah. It's not like I go, oh, I'm gonna sit around naked and yeah. work on this spreadsheet.
1: Hey yeah. Siri.
0: <laughs> anyway, what I'm trying to do is tease out of Brian. It's going to be pretty easy to get concerned people to use this browser. It's going to be, you know, and they're offering literally not Bitcoin, but another cryptocurrency to anybody who will download the browser. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that's 1% of people who are into that, or maybe there's more... My web browsing, this is going to be a little bit vulnerable here, I go from Stripe to see how much money we made today, because I got to pay bills, to my book came out 90 days ago. I'm still in the, the thing where I'm looking at Amazon to see where my book is ranked, yeah. uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I don't got anything to do after that. I mean, those are the two places I go. I read news on my phone yeah, through yeah. apps, you know, through Google News and CNN and all that kind of stuff. I probably do two hours of that a day, but- I don't go anywhere on the internet. It's too much. It's like the Cheesecake Factory menu. It's like, I can't, I can only look at one page of this. I'll take the burrito. Yes. I'll pretend this is a Mexican restaurant. Anyway, you know, we were trying to tease this out. Their website, we hope to help them work on, has a picture of a lion on it to which I said, Are you selling tickets to an African mm-hmm. safari? And mm-hmm. it turns out he wasn't. He was selling a web browser for free. Uh-huh. And so you got to get rid of all that. So we're helping them figure out that language too, which is what we do at Storybrand. That's really great. But he got me really fascinated. He basically said, Look, there will be a day. When, if you want to hire somebody, you can go look them up on the internet and see everywhere they've ever been on the internet against their will, Yeah, that you can actually just know everywhere their car has been. I remember this big scare in the Bush administration that because of 9-11, there was all this legislation that got through, a bunch of executive power stuff, where the government could basically listen in on your conversations without, I want to say without a warrant. This is actually just last yeah, yeah. night, Was the whole FISA thing was going through Senate and Congress. To continue debating this sort of thing. Rand Paul was on the news last night just saying, look, it's too far. you got to have a warrant if you want to listen in on anybody's conversation. And there's aspects of this piece of legislation that you don't have to have a warrant. What's freaking hilarious yes. is the government <laughs> has nothing on these major corporations. Yes. They're all doing it. Yeah. They're all doing everything that the government is saying the government shouldn't be able Well, And our we're prob- voluntarily <laughs> giving it. Our problem is not the government anymore. Yeah. When you sign that terms and agreements thing— yep. You have signed over your privacy. Yeah. Actually, this is fascinating. The day before I left for San Francisco, Betsy takes a picture of me. We're sitting around the living room. It's a reading night, so we're reading books, sitting around the living room. And she is not reading. She takes a picture of me. She says, and I said, What are you doing? She says, I just want to see what piece of art you oh, yeah, line yeah. up to. Like yeah, it's an app that. Yep. that it's okay. all over Facebook. Here's what Brian at Brave told me. He said, Don, do you know what that is? Thirty million people have downloaded that app and taken selfies. Thirty million in what? A couple weeks, a few weeks. That app is put out by Google, and Google realized very quickly that because Apple has facial recognition on their new phones, Uh they are getting pictures of everybody who uses their phones that they can associate with the data that they're collecting. So now, if I go to JJ's file in the future, when Russian hackers hack the internet, Uh (laughs) I can see JJ's picture because JJ got an Apple iPhone and took a picture of himself in order to do facial scan recognition. That's why they wanted facial scan recognition. They wanted your picture. Yes. Google realizes we're falling behind in our ability to collect people's images, their selfies, their Uh faces. They invented that app. Oh, my God. That app exists. Genius. So Google... Can capture millions and millions of people's faces
1: and attach it to the and attach it to the three
0: gigabytes they already have. (laughs) So what this means is, Uh in the future, you could walk into a store and see your face, and your face could literally saying, "Today, I think we ought to buy the such and such." And you are talking to yourself in your voice using your face through Minority Report. It is Minority Report.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Anyway, we are not a sponsor. They haven't given us any money. I think we're probably going to work with Brave in the future. I hope so. But it got me thinking, we got to actually change out Safari for this browser. I haven't done it yet, but <laughs> Brave.com. And this is a problem a lot of our customers have is they talk to themselves a lot. So whenever I fly into Silicon Valley and I meet with these guys, they speak a language. You know, They talk about privacy. They talk about these sorts of things. Yeah. And I said, Brian, you got to hit me. I really don't care about privacy. But one of the things I said is on your website, they have a browser with your best interest at heart. Well, that means nothing. That's what we call slippery bowling ball. Well, that's vague language. They got a picture of a lion. So that's just confusing. It looks like you're selling tickets. you to have a picture of somebody browsing using a browser. So now you say it's a browser. And then it says, corporations are watching everywhere you go on the internet. We won't let them. And then it has to be so the plan, anybody who knows StoryBrand, and if you read my book, you know how important the plan is. The plan needs to be, one, download the browser. Two, replace Our browser with yours in your dock. You literally have to tell people to do that. Three, never allow corporations to know where you go on the internet again. Yeah. That's it. And I think if they did that, I think they've got 4 million active users. I think they go to 8 or 10 in a relatively short period of time because they finally explained it in such a way that people who would get concerned and say, I need to do that. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to download Brave, go do it again. They aren't paying us. It's just the way of the future. If you were worried that George Bush was spying on you, buddy. You got bigger problems. (laughs) George Bush is painting paintings in Texas, doing a great job. Anyway, today on the show, (laughs) in a completely unrelated way, except we talked a little bit about
1: you're such a master of transition, master of transitions. It's something to be studied. Well, (laughs) I
0: I don't know if the reasons that you would think probably be studied. Don't do this. Ron Carson is on the show today. He is CEO, founder of Carson Wealth manages billions and billions of dollars for a lot of people. And he's always on MSNBC and talking about what's going on in the stock market. I actually saw him, he's one of our clients. We helped Carson Wealth figure out how to do some of their messaging. Ron is brilliant. I trust his perspective on the stock market more than anybody else on the planet. He really is, I think, a brilliant human being. And I watched him on, I think it was Fox News, I can't remember. I watched him and he was talking about the fact that everybody right now needs to de-risk their portfolio. Meaning you need to pull your money out of the stock market for a second. Now he wasn't being alarmist about it. Yeah. But he was saying, you know, the Dow just ripped past twenty six thousand the other day. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. And I wanted to have a conversation with Ron because I think there are people who are listening to this podcast. And don't get mad if you're not one of these people. There uh-huh. are people who, you know, entrepreneurs who are putting five and ten and twenty and sometimes a hundred thousand dollars a month into the market. And that's because your business is doing well. Don't get mad. If your business isn't doing there, come to StoryBrand. Let us help you figure it out and start making (laughs) money. Don't get jealous. Join the group that's succeeding. But if you're not there yet, you'll get there soon if you keep listening to this podcast. The other question I had, if I wanted to talk to somebody about this new tax plan. The tax plan went to the House, went to the Senate. There were some scary moments. I think some of the proposals, especially in Congress, they were talking about the middle class not being able to write off their interest rates on their homes. That would have been devastating. I believe, I read last night, that that did not get through even though I believe it passed the Senate, somehow they took it out.
1: Before it went all the way.
0: Before it went all the way. So I don't believe that's gonna happen. Everybody gets a tax cut, the middle class and the wealthy get a tax cut. If you run a business that's a quarter million dollar business or below, and certainly a million dollar business or below, you're going to benefit from this tax plan. And that means you're going to have some money. And that means you're probably going to want to put that money into the market. And that means we need to talk to Ron Carson first. Let's get to the point that helps you most. And that is, what do you do with your money right now? How's the tax plan going to help you? Some of you are thinking about hiring some people because you know, I've got some money coming my way with this tax plan. I think that's true. Are those wise decisions? Here's my conversation with Ron Carson. Ron Carson,
2: thanks for joining us. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, Ron, I saw you on television recently. You were sounding very smart, and you were telling people to de-risk their portfolios. I immediately called my finance guy and said, are you de-risking our portfolio? And they didn't know, and I'm thinking of switching my money so you can manage it. But I want to know a little more about what's going on. I want to cover a lot of stuff with you. One of the things I want to cover is this new tax plan, the Trump tax plan that's coming through. looks exciting for a lot of our listeners 40,000 business owners. I've already hired two people based on the money I think I'm going to save next year. You can tell me more. And then I want to talk about what happens if inflation goes up, if the interest rate goes up, what's going to happen to our businesses. And then I want to get down to the nitty gritty and talk about some investing and what we need to be doing with our portfolios. That sound good? That sounds awesome, Don. Do you like this
2: new tax plan? Do you like what's coming through the pipe? I love it. This tax plan is significant in so many ways. First of all, It's lowering taxes across
0: the board. And it really is. The Republicans get criticized for lowering taxes for the rich. And I understand supply-side economics, trickle-down, whatever you want to call it. But this one goes all the way down, certainly into that huge, important middle class that we've got to strengthen. It hits them really well, doesn't it?
2: It does. I mean, matter of fact, a median family earning $73,000 will get a tax cut of $2,059. For a lot of listeners, they go, well, that's not that much money. It's a lot of money. It is. But here's the bigger piece of it, which I think sometimes people miss. This reminds me of Reaganomics. I will never forget you know, the Democrats talking about how Reagan was going to put this country into debt. He had had the largest farm bill. I grew up on a farm. I mean, and at the time we had interest rates that were, t- the prime is at 21%. It was obnoxious. And we took all, I say we, because I'm a conservative, we took all kinds of criticism and we know in hindsight, what Reaganomics did. So what's bigger than the relief is, in fact, that business owners, I'm hearing this across the country, are feeling comfortable and confident that we're going to have a more pro-business environment. This is huge for the psyche of the business owner, even at the Carson Group in Omaha. We have about 150 stakeholders around the country. We have 41 open positions. We added a fair number of those because of the fact that we feel confident about the business environment moving forward. And I think the tax package was beautiful, but the shift in the way the government's thinking and what actually this administration is getting done is really going to be, I think, really going to set us off and give us some true economic growth where we've really not had for quite some time.
0: You say that the Dow just went past 26,000. We're seeing very strong market right now. Do you think it can continue? And why would you say de-risk your portfolio? I mean, basically what I'm asking, is this tax plan going to push us out another two years of roaring growth? Or do you think this is going to help us plateau? And after that, I got some follow-up questions about this quote-unquote false economy.
2: Okay, so this is where it gets tricky, Don. So every year, Barons has the Barron's Roundtable, and they ask the smartest people in the world to weigh in on a variety of things, from interest rates to the economy and do you know what the average hit rate, I think this is about a year old, but the average hit rate of the round table forecasts are for the coming year, they go back and no. score them. It's just a little under 50%. So, so it's a coin flip. <laughs> you're better off flipping a coin. And it's because they're trying to do the impossible. They're trying to predict something that's going to happen in the really short term. And I've learned, I've been doing this for 35 years. The market will do whatever it needs to do to prove the largest number of people wrong at any given moment. <laughs> it just does that, right? Yeah And so what I would say is right now, the markets' price for perfection. The fundamentals are phenomenal. Companies are coming in and they are beating earnings or raising forecasts. They're feeling great about the prospects. But remember, sometimes Main Street is not good for Wall Street. And let me explain. when we're at the depth of uncertainty, and really January of 09, we'd had the financial crisis. Nobody in the world wanted to own a stock or really anything that was a financial asset. When it was the most difficult thing to do, that was a buying opportunity of a lifetime. Buffett says, be afraid when everybody else is brave and be brave when everybody else is afraid. The point I'm making in de-risking, taking some risk out of the portfolio today, is we're priced for perfection. Could this go on for six, 12, 24 months? Absolutely. But when things are marked to you know, perfection, people want to buy it in droves. And simply put, though, this is going to be really good for the economy and thereby earnings and thereby the stock market, but we could take a dip before we move higher. I would rather have that than what we were headed for under the Obama administration and potentially the Clinton was a very slow to no growth economy, no opportunity anywhere now the pie is growing bigger. And ultimately, if you can take a three to a five-year time horizon, you don't have to de-risk the portfolio. If you want to trim some back to the risk, so you've got more dry powder, when we have opportunity, I think that's a prudent thing to do. And this is not a call on the short run. This is just playing the averages and understanding that valuations ebb and flow from really high valuations to really cheap. And they're not really cheap. And they're well above average today.
0: Right. When I saw you say that on TV, I felt like you had some compassion and care and forethought for your clients, and I still think that's the case. I want to get back a little bit into what this means for our listeners. Now, most listeners are probably sub-million, maybe sub-$2 million companies. A lot of listeners, probably 70% of our listeners are sub-half-million-dollar companies. These are locksmiths. These are real estate agents. These are you know folks who are just trying to grow their small business. They are partnerships. They are S-corps. They are sole proprietorships. They're going to see a 20% deduction for qualified business income. They're going to see that under this tax plan. That means they're going to be sitting on thousands and thousands of dollars. What do you suggest that they do with that money if they have that extra cash?
2: I love real estate right now. Matter of fact, One of our largest holdings at the firm is we went out in a financial crisis and we bought single family homes. We rent those homes out. We think that we're in a secular trend of not having enough affordable housing for maybe the next 20 years because household formation has been dramatically reduced. We have a big pinup demand. We haven't built the houses. A lot of people don't want to build the lower end houses. So anything that where you can play the housing, if you can even For the listeners out there, here I am a financial advisor saying in some cases- I was about to say,
0: here's a financial advisor, the only one that I've ever heard saying you ought to consider inexpensive rental property. Are you saying that?
2: I'm saying that. And we've actually lived it- Let me just stop
0: you real quick. This is why Ron Carson is the only financial advisor I bring on this show, because he tells the truth. (laughs) Keep going, Ron.
2: Well, because it comes at the expense of financial advisors. I tell clients all the time, I have to start with what's your interest and work backwards. And if you find a good property- in your market. You can rehab it, pull the money out of the account with me. Let's put it in there because you can probably get an eight, nine, 10% yield. And that property, I think has a real opportunity to have significant appreciation over the next 10 years. And you do it with something that most people are absolutely comfortable with. They can go
0: touch their investment and people like that.
2: They understand how it operates, right? It's pretty simple to understand.
0: Is it a good time to buy corporate property? I mean, commercial real estate in Nashville right now, Ron, is crazy. I have a friend who bought a $1.5 million building. I think that was six years ago. It's now a $7 million building.
2: You want me to wait? I think corporate real estate is really high right now. I mean, we're looking at, because we're outgrowing our building and we're just looking around and it's insane, the cap rates. You know, on the flip side of that, residential, the single-family homes, still pretty reasonable. So it's totally a localized question mean, where it's at. The old saying, location, location, location. But as a general asset class, I think I would be careful with commercial real estate today. The other thing that we like is something that's pretty boring. For business owners that are sitting on cash, we recommend doing bond ladders, where you're going in and actually Buying the individual bonds. These can be set up. Make sure whoever you're buying them from, there's no markups. And you can run a QCIP number to see did somebody actually add something to this because you can't tell in the price. So make sure that it's a clean buy, buy the actual individual bonds, and then have them automatically roll over because as rates go up or go down, you're going to get a lot more than just sitting in cash at the bank. Maybe you can get a two and a half to a three and a half percent yield, but you can have any time access. These are very liquid type of investments. And then the third thing I would say is if you have money that has a medium time horizon, but you don't want to subject yourself to a lot of downside risk, go in and buy what are known as always hedge strategies that actually put a floor, we call them irreplaceable capital. So yeah, you're going to not capture as much of the upside, but you dramatically have downside protection. So when, and if we have another Oh nine, you can actually move into more growth oriented and really kill it which a lot of clients our clients did in 2009 because we made it through 2008 with very modest downward single digit losses in our portfolio which by
0: the way that was huge cuz a lot of advisors their clients were losing 30 i saw 38% on one of my statements and you guys were in single digits that's correct that that's is awesome. correct yes ron a couple things talk to me as you know a lot of people are in the situation i'm in We had a great 2017. We saw about 30 to 40% growth. We're anticipating 100% growth in 2018. I'm going to increase overhead considerably, probably bring on at least three, maybe four big jobs that are going to be expensive. Is it the right time to hire and grow your company? Start investing in your company. You hear this, we're nine years into a 10-year trend. It's going to adjust. Be careful. But you're saying it's a good time to bring on new
2: help. As long as it's high quality. Here's the way I look at it, Don. I mean, Again, 35 years in business. I've started three separate businesses from scratch. And here's what has always been true through the good times and the bad. If you find exceptional people because they're so rare, you should always be in hiring mode.
0: Hmm, That's great advice.
2: Yeah, always. You should never not hire a great person because you don't have a spot for them. Create a spot because that person will create way more opportunity than the investment you're making in that person. That's been my philosophy. Matter of fact, one of my self-made billionaire clients, matter of fact, he's from Omaha. He started his business in his mid fifties from scratch. He's now a self-made billionaire. And I said, Howard, what was the key to your success? He said, you know what, Ron? I found the best people I could and I got the heck out of their way. And he said, I hired even if I didn't need them. And that's where I learned, this was not my idea. He mentored me very early in my career. And it was one of the best pieces of advice that anyone's ever given to me. Hire talent, train the skill. Hire talent, train the skill.
0: There you go. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Ron Carson in just a moment. So I'll tell you how I met Ron Carson. I met him because he brought me in for what we call a private workshop. That is where one of our facilitators, and I actually went to this one, go in and they help a company clarify their message. His company has continued to grow. The objectives that he set continue to grow. And the way it worked is Ron sat down and said, look, there's certain things we wanna do. We want more investors coming to Carson Wealth, but we also want to help other financial advisors franchise themselves. That is, we want them to come under our fold, and we'll take care of their marketing and their administrative policies and all that kind of stuff. We'll take care of that for them. There were two different things that they wanted to do, and they needed to know how to message those. And by the end of our time together, they'd filled out brand scripts where they had language that they could use on their website, in their email blasts, in their lead-generating PDFs, in the keynote speeches that they were delivering around the country, and on and on and on. It made creating marketing collateral much more easy. If you have a company and you want to take 5, 10, 15, even 20 people through the StoryBrand process and clarify your message so that you can use that new messaging in all manner of marketing collateral, sign up for a private workshop. Just go to storybrand.com slash private workshops. Apply today and we will send one of our facilitators to teach your team the StoryBrand framework that will ensure you communicate clearly forever. It matters to your bottom line. When people finally understand what you offer, they will buy what you offer. Go to storybrand.com slash private workshops. Let's get back to the epic big stuff. I want to talk about the national debt. Now, this plan, this tax plan, it's been a little deceptive the way it's talked about in the news. They're saying $1.5 trillion added to the national deficit over the next 10 years. The the national deficit is now at 105% of debt-to-income ratio. That's the bad news. The good news is it's a small portion. It's interesting. As I grew up, the debt was growing. Obama grew the debt massively. George W. Bush grew the debt. Of course, we were at war. Trump is going to continue to grow the debt. Is this something that we should be concerned about from your perspective?
2: So this is such an interesting topic because I grew up, believing that debt was bad and that it was unsustainable and I remember reading the great Dr. Ravi Batra wrote the Great Depression of 1990 and I read that in like 1985 and I go, holy crap, I picked the worst time to get in this business. <laughs> the world's coming yeah. to an end and it was all around debt it was also compelling and I've totally done a 180 on that Don. I had a chance to have dinner with Buffett about three years ago. It was me and two other couples. So I got his attention for hours, three almost four hours. And we talked about just this topic. And he said, Ron, you know, the thing that people don't realize is he said, Ron, when you first got started, did you have a mortgage? I go, Yeah. He goes, How much was it? I said, You know, my wife and I had like a thirty thousand dollar mortgage. He said, You know, let's just say today you had a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. You had 10 times the debt you had then, but is your net worth higher? I go, Yeah, it's a lot higher. And he says, People look at the debt, but the United States government, its ability to tax is really its balance sheet, and you want that to grow, and as long as that is growing, then the debt is just a byproduct of the purchasing power you literally have with the economy. So the having the economy grow in relationship or faster than your debt as a percentage is really the key here. You know listening to what I think is the brightest man ever in investing and understanding these things and simplifying him, he says, it's not an issue. It's just not. And I used to worry about all these unfunded entitlements, and I think there's going to have to be some pain. But you know what? They're going to figure that out. And as long as we grow the economy, it gives us all kinds of optionality on everything else. And Buffett, by the way, to this day, still one of the greatest thinkers of all time.
0: (laughs) That's awesome to hear. Well, he certainly has the success to prove it. That's an interesting perspective on debt. This old... Republican here might take a minute to just sleep on that a little bit. I think the bigger problem, I think, with the debt is not so much the debt as much as its runaway spending, especially on Medicare, Medicaid. I mean, we're now at two thirds. What people don't realize is, you know, all my liberal friends who I love and I spent my time in their camp. They were all upset about the military. The military is only 10 to 14% of our spending. And I'm for an even bigger military, and I can argue all day long about why that's good. I think it's keeping North Korea in check and all this other kind of stuff, and it's creating all sorts of industry. I'm for that. Our real problem is entitlement programs are absolutely, insanely expensive. And the reason they're expensive is partly because the medical community is charging a lot more than I think they need to, and they're billing the government for this stuff. That is a real hard problem to fix. So I think when you hear some people like me say the debt, the debt, the debt, what we're really saying is if this were a corporation, all you guys would be fired because you're running an unbelievably inefficient organization and you're no longer in control and the American people are getting ripped off and they're not getting the quality of service that I think they deserve. Do you understand the difference between when I say debt, what I really mean is this organization is not being run well?
2: I'm 100% with you, Don. I mean, there's a difference between runaway inefficient spending that you don't get a return on. Like you get a sugar high or you're going out and you're getting something of substance that's good for you. And infrastructure spending, this tax, for example, you know, the tax bill. Yeah, is that going to have some cost? But however, it's going to grow the economy even faster. So the relationship between the debt and the asset actually contracts. So this is healthy kind of spending that our government has. Infrastructure spending. Our infrastructure in this country Is way behind. If you look at all the money we wasted on all of these programs and we would have put it into infrastructure, think of the return that we would have had and the people that we would have put to work. I was not in favor of all the big bank bailouts. I mean, all of the shenanigans that went on on Wall Street, they screwed people over. I'm glad to hear you say that. And that's another thing is I think part of the Trump
0: plan is to decrease the burden to uh, decreasing taxes. I think that's very, very smart and good. It's going to be very helpful. And also to decrease regulation. And I think you're probably with me on that, but Wall Street regulation, the fact that it wasn't there is one of the main reasons we went through 2008 and 2009, that recession. Some regulation needs to be there, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. And Wall Street, I'll be the first to stay. I mean, I'm part, quote unquote, of it because I'm a registered investment advisor, but Wall Street is still Taking advantage of people. There's still backdoor payments. There are things going on on Wall Street that shouldn't be going on. And the consumer is paying the price. I mean, if you look at stuff that's not disclosed, the conflict that's embedded into Wall Street puts the average investor at a huge disadvantage. And that's where even most of your listeners, you ask, you know, what can they do? First thing is, Find out if they have a broker or a registered investment advisor, because a broker, they represent their company and they only have to sell you stuff that's suitable. And If they disclose it in a prospectus a thousand pages long of legalese, then they're off the hook. An RIA, on the other hand, is required by law to put your interests ahead of theirs. And if not, they can go to jail for it. And the average person doesn't even know. They think a broker and an RIA is the same. And this is where at least you'll give yourself a chance, a dramatically improved chance of not having these conflicts take money away from your listeners.
0: I want to step away from this interview with Ron Carson and explain something to my listeners. Some of you were early on reading my books like Blue Like Jazz and Searching for God Knows What, and you kind of probably pigeoned me as a bit of a liberal. And certainly I was hanging out at Reed College and I was introduced to kind of idealistic thinking from the left during that period. And I still love that idealistic thinking. Then something interesting happened and I feel like I got a more balanced understanding of the world. I went on to become a business person. I'd run a company before Reed College and now I run a company after. And I began to see something very interesting. You know, as StoryBrand went from a quarter million dollar company to a two million dollar company and then a six million dollar company and this year hopefully 10. We began to hire people and we began to be able to pay them more and then those people bought houses and those people got health care. And those people, even some of the wives, were able to quit their jobs and stay home with their kids. And I saw these healthy families being created. I realized then that a lot of what I was trying to do as an idealist sort of guy on the left, I was able to accomplish through business. That doesn't mean there aren't ways to accomplish that as a sort of an idealistic advocate for the poor. I'm still that. What happened to me was it de the process of running a business, de corporate America. Are there bad corporate leaders? There are. Are there people who rip people off and essentially turn the middle class into low-paying slaves? Yes, there are. Are there very many of them? I don't believe there are that many. I think most of our listeners are like me. You see this influence that you get to have through a business And it's awesome, but that can't happen in an environment, in a country that doesn't care about small, medium-sized businesses. And I mean small and medium-sized businesses who often just get set aside. And so some of you are hearing me say nice things about Trump policies, and you've learned to think in a binary way that somebody is either a villain or they're great. They're either the good guy or the bad guy. And I'm saying, you know, there are things about this president I don't agree with. There are things I don't like. And yet also, there's this thing happening for small and medium-sized businesses that allow you to grow your business, to hire more people, to create better jobs, to allow families to buy houses and raise stable kids. Those are good things, and business can be a force for good, and I think it mostly is. A friend of mine sent out an Instagram recently that said we should care less about the bottom line and more about the people who are on the bottom, who are feeding off the bottom. And you know what? To some degree, I agree with that. But that Instagram quote, that tweet, if you will, that went out felt like it was a melding of two worlds for me. It was the one where i learned about the marginalized and indeed grew up marginalized we stood in line for government cheese when i was a kid i know how it feels to be hungry i know how it feels to be poor i know how it feels to be on the wrong side of the tracks and the government handouts including a bit of piece of legislation from jimmy carter that allowed my mother to buy a home that got me into a better school district and that piece of legislation was revoked by ronald reagan who was my hero And those who came behind me in that same situation were not allowed that same credit to buy houses and were not allowed to get into better school districts and better their lives. I see how government on the left and right can positively and negatively affect the poor. And I wanna say, listen, don't think in binary. If we do not, as corporate leaders, think about the bottom line, then we can't grow our companies. Then we can't hire more people. Then wages can't increase then people can't buy houses in better neighborhoods, then kids can't go to better schools. There is a connection between the corporate leader who is thinking about the bottom line and the person who's at the bottom and marginalized in society. There is a connection. And we must reject the binary and begin to think in more nuanced ways about how this world works on behalf of those who are suffering, not in neglect of them, On behalf of them, it's one of the reasons I so enjoyed this interview with Ron Carson, and I want to get back to it now. Wall Street Journal last week prints an article that says time's up on interest rate being so low. They're going to have to raise it. The government is going to raise that interest rate. Uh, Again, you know, I know we're just sort of reading the tea leaves here. When do you think that's going to happen, and what is that going to do? due to the average plumber, real estate agent, you know, locksmith.
2: At the Carson Group, we believe that we're going to get, Wall Street is not expecting that we're going to get as much in a raise that we are. We think that the economy is going to be pretty strong. That means rates are going to come up, but they're not going to be anywhere close down to what they were. As a matter of fact, yeah, we're going to pay a little bit more on debt, but we're going to get more on cash. And it actually is healthier for the economy to have interest rates somewhat higher than they are today and by no means do we think it's going to be you know runaway interest rates runaway inflation like we've had in the past no one wants to have higher interest rates longer term it's healthy it's healthy for business and it's healthier for our economy for us to have a normal yield curve.
0: And it's a good time to do it. I mean, if the economy is going to boom a little bit with these tax breaks, it's a good time to adjust and you think there's going to be a little 30-day shakeup in the market where people are going to be a little bit scared to buy and then it's going to get right back to normal?
2: You know, I quit predicting this because the market is so dang crazy about this stuff. You know, I thought we would have probably have had one by now and we have it and there's still a ton of cash sitting out there, Don. We had a client come in last week that put all of his money into cash in 09 and has been sitting in a bank since 09. There's still a lot of people that were scarred from that. They've missed all this run up and probably until all that money gets sucked in. That's when it's going to correct again, because we're going to repeat 09, the thing. What
0: was the down in 09? What well, you- the S and P
2: traded down like
0: six seventy-two. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, he's lost lots of money. Oh Yeah crazy. Okay. Hey, one side note question. I'm curious, you know, Trump ran on America first and I actually proposed this idea. I'm on this economic think tank and I proposed an idea that guys like you pay a little bit of a different tax rate than guys like me. There's a definitely a benefit if you're a stock broker, if you're trading money, because you get to keep your money in the market you don't get taxed unless it comes out all these kinds of things. And I thought, well, you know, What if we actually create something called Ameristox? So I went and bought Ameristox.com. There's nothing there right now, but there's going to be hopefully in the future if I can find some free time to figure this out. And Ameristox would basically be you get a significant tax break on only certain kinds of stocks. And the other stocks, if you're investing in a Japanese corporation or a Chinese corporation, I know that Grover Norquist doesn't want you to pay any more taxes on that. But if you think about it, if I'm investing in a Chinese corporation, that Chinese corporation has the capital to expand. They expand. They make a profit. Half the profit goes to the Chinese government. Chinese government buys tanks. Then my tax break, my American tax break, just bought the Chinese government a tank. What I proposed was look, what if we actually say the companies that are good for the American economy, and I want to be really careful how I state this because I think there are some economists who would argue with this. That is, they create American manufacturing jobs, American manufacturing jobs have been proven to decrease poverty. They pull the poor out of the poverty into the middle class. So we've got to have manufacturing jobs. Trump is 100% right on that. I think Trump is wrong about all sorts of things, and I think he's a nutcase, but he's right about that. He's absolutely right about that. So if you're in Ohio, if you're in Michigan, if you're in Pennsylvania, he's dead right about that. He's very good for you. And also your supply chain, not just your products, but the supply chain that is feeding your products, going to creating your products, if those are American-made, I think that stock should be taxed differently. And I asked a bunch of stockbrokers about that, You know, people who are in the know, and they said, Don, there's nothing illegal about that. The government could do that tomorrow. I think you should get a tax break if you invest in stocks that are good for America. I promise I'm going somewhere with this, Ron. That said, if you look at how American shipbuilding died, and British shipbuilding too, the way it died was, The government said, look, you can't buy steel from anywhere else. If you're going to build a ship in America, it's got to be American steel. you got to use these nuts and bolts. you got to use these American parts. And because those American parts were expensive, more expensive than the ones they could get from China and Japan, that caused American ships to be more expensive. In a global market, people couldn't afford American ships. And America now no longer builds ships. So the very thing that I proposed, which is American manufacturing and American supply chain manufacturing, killed the American ship industry. Which leaves me with a question, I've actually just hired a researcher in Paris and I pay him a bunch of money for me to figure out, what's an stock. then? What is actually a stock that we could invest in that is good for American jobs that won't kill, quote, the American ship industry? And of course, I mean that metaphorically. What do you see when Trump this past week raises the tariff on parts that go into American solar panels by 30%? Basically, that can do one of two things. It can kill the American solar panel industry, or it can cause the American solar panel industry to start making those parts in America, which would be great for American manufacturing. What is your take on the government stepping in and trying to create America-first companies and boost the American economy? Do you have a theory about how that can be done?
2: You know, Don, on the surface, what you say—I mean, I'm cheering up and down. I mean, we all want that, right? Right. However, protectionistic policies we know from history are not good. The problem is that some of these deals that the U.S. gets itself into are lopsided. I like what you're saying. I would rather figure out a way, and I love what Trump's doing as far as if we're going to do a deal, let's do a fair deal where both sides feel good about it. Because you know, Don, in business and all your listeners know, whenever you do a deal and you feel like you got the better of the deal, you really didn't, because in the U.S.'s case, we start to retaliate. We start to do things that maybe make us feel good in the short run, but they're not good in the long term for our business or for our economy. So instead of that, let's figure out a way that both sides feel great about the deal that we have on the table. The U.S. is just gotten the short end of the stick for way too many years.
0: I agree with that. I also agree with the fact that, I think you do too, Ron, that we need to understand that globalization is a fact. It is at least a 100-year fact, if not a 500-year fact. And you step away from globalization, and you have said, we are going to leave the world rather than lead the world. And I think what's going to happen is if we leave the world— I think somebody else leads it, and I think that's China.
2: I agree. And by the way, Don, underpinning this, I was just this morning, I had some calls on blockchain. And a lot of people think of blockchain as currency and all the crazy things going on with Bitcoin and Ripple and all these others. And quite frankly, blockchain is just a platform to enable that but a lot of other things. Our economy... We're on the verge of some of the biggest technological revolutions we've ever experienced. I mean, I was at Singularity University this fall for a week, which is—I was with 90 CEOs from around the world. I was one of 16 from the U.S., and for literally 11 hours a day, we got to hear talkers, speakers, specialists on everything that's coming. And they're saying a singularity is technology has been a trickle up to this point. The avalanche is near, and I believe it. And blockchain is one part of that. And back to this globalization. I mean, we're going to be allowed to have peer-to-peer exchange of value that can happen anywhere in the world with 100% security. So you wouldn't need the banks. You wouldn't need the credit card companies. Quite frankly, you don't even need custody and clearing that are out there today. So that would eliminate a lot of what we even do in our business. My focus is, you know, what do we need to do as an organization to prepare for this, to keep our AQ high? We call that adaptability quotient. That's really a key when running a business for the future. But how do we get in front of this? I think blockchain is going to be way bigger than mobility or the internet and the impact it's going to have on the economy. And it's going to drive globalization to a whole new level because smart contracts and an exchange of value is going to be happen anonymously in a nanosecond with somebody you don't even know or care who they are because you're so comfortable with the security exchange.
0: And I think some of our listeners are scared right now because they hear unknown, unknown, unknown. I want you to know this yeah. is an incredible opportunity. One of our new correspondents on the Building Story Run podcast, Alison Trowbridge, just graduated from Oxford, got her MBA. She's heading to London now to interview the creator of blockchain. That's going to be on the show here very soon. You're going to find out a lot more about that. Ron, this has been an insightful interview Now, we have no financial tie here. If somebody wants to invest in your line of thinking, if somebody wants to put their money with an advisor who understands the way you see the world, that is de-risk portfolio, take advantage of opportunity when stocks are on a blue light special. If you want to pull your money out of the market and get some rental property, if you want to invest with somebody who is thinking about your bottom line, who treats the customer as the hero and acts as the
2: guide, Ron, where do people need to go? Then go to carsongroup.com. They can also send me an email, rcarson at carsongroup.com. And Don, for your listeners too, we've got a couple of items. One, we put together a great tax report. If they want an easy guide, how to take advantage of the tax reform, we'll do that. And we also, there's no cost or obligation, we'll run an upside downside analysis on their portfolio and show them how they can optimize it to probably just get more efficient, to you know capture some more upside and maybe take no more downside or protect the downside, they go to carsongroup.com or email me at rcarson at carsongroup.com. Love to have you be a part of my community. Ron, you're one of my
0: favorite, favorite people to talk to about the economy. I've taken your advice many times, and I'm very grateful to have you on the show and introduce you to our guests. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Don. So there you go, JJ. You're a guy who, you play the market a little bit.
1: A little. I'm very risk-averse, though. Are you? Very, yeah.
0: You have Coca-Cola.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, Everybody's the big, got Coca-Cola. Yeah, I got a
0: lot like, of money in Coca-Cola. Yeah.
1: No, I'm very, very risk fine. averse. I'm very-
0: You say that, but you've got like 500 bucks or whatever in Bitcoin.
1: Well, 500 bucks, that's very risk averse in that yeah. I'm just like, I have it in so I can watch what's happening. Yeah. Like that's really when this podcast come, like, so when I initially put it in, it almost like tripled and then now it's basically back down to my initial investment. Yeah. So I've just been watching and that's my risk before I'm even like in, in, I'm like, I'm just going to put a little in, see where it goes. So that's kind of how I- I treat it.
0: Yeah, I bet on community college basketball games in this little casino in Vegas. I just call them every day and say the Alvin Community College Dolphins yeah. by twenty yeah. against the, the Irvine
1: Banana. Slugs. <laughs> the, the Irvine Banana Slugs. I've
0: got money on the yeah. Irvine Banana. The JV team. Yeah, the J- Of course, I'm not doing yeah. that. Pros, you can't figure out yeah. the, the varsity. I mean, those guys. That's where I put all my money. But no, great advice from Ron. I'm grateful for that. JJ, next week is I think one of the fir- well Miles Adcox has been on the show twice. This is the only other person, if I'm not mistaken, who's been on the podcast twice. It's Scott Hamilton. Yes. And everybody's fired up right now about the Winter Olympics. Ugh. So you're going to see a lot of Scott. He's, got, he's actually got an interview show as part of the Winter Olympics yeah. coverage. Oh yeah. So we wanted to sit down with him. But the main reason I was excited to sit down with him is StoryBrand actually spent a day with Scott Hamilton and helped him outline a book, Yeah. which is an interesting use of StoryBrand. Somebody yeah. wants to write a book. They bring in one of our facilitators. We help them for a full day and a half think through the message. And he came away with a book. This book, I say that. We we don't actually help you outline a book. That's not what StoryBrand does. We help you write a brand script. But the process of writing a brand script helps you get crystal clear about whatever it is you're trying to communicate. We normally do this with five or 10 or 15 people. But with Scott, he brought in a little team. We did that process. And then he turned around on his own. And turned it into a book. Yeah. He turned it into an outline and turned it into a very good book that I really enjoyed. If you are at all interested in succeeding, I like this book for you. <laughs> it made me want to go to the gym more. It changed the way I worked out. It changed my attitude about all sorts of things yeah. because he's this very kind, tender sort of coach, but he also is not satisfied with you mailing it in. Yep. Like he wants you working hard and getting the thing done. As he had to do in order to become the greatest skater in the world at one time. Yeah. Anyway, so that's next week's interview with Scott Hamilton. You are a huge fan. Oh,
1: beyond. Beyond. It's kind of- (laughs) You do a lot
0: with Scott. You do a lot- Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've done a lot with Scott and his company, but like even beyond that, I mean, I told you, I actually complained because our live workshop got scheduled during the Winter Olympics in February. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry. Did nobody look at my did calendar nobody, because yeah, nobody, I, I am be walking off this entire time. You were going to go to Korea. I still might. No, at this point I can't, but I actually was going to go to Korea. Yeah, I have friends who are there right now. And we so, could
0: make it happen if you needed to go.
1: Do not say that and then pull that out from under me because you know going to the Olympics is my dream. You know this. And first, it was as a curler, and now it's just. Well, now as you're a shaming
0: me for something I haven't even offered. Or not? You literally
1: offered just yet. said we could make that happen. For I you. think we. And can, that's why I, I said think, do not, I not think offer. Do not offer this. Send
0: an essay saying why you want to go to the Olympics. The staff can give me the vote count. on it. The give staff me, can vote on it. And give we can me the figure word count, and I will have it to you tomorrow. Give me the word Twenty-five thousand.
1: $25,000? i will have it to you by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> by tomorrow. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, if you show up at, what would that be? That'd be the February workshop. Show up uh-huh. at the February workshop and JJ's not there. We all know where he yes. is. <laughs> He's, he, his, his essay was good. Anyway, I want to tease everybody with a little bit of my conversation with Scott Hamilton. This is not one you want to miss. If you've been a little sluggish, if you are into February and you're looking at your New Year's resolutions and they ain't happening... This is not an interview you want to miss, and you don't want to miss reading the book Finish First. Anyway, here's a little bit of my conversation with Scott.
3: I look at failure, and most people go, I don't want to do that. I may not be good at that. I don't want to do that because I might fail. And then you look at that, it's like, well, no, that's the greatest thing ever. I mean, if we're able to flip it upside down and just sort of say, you know what? Embrace failure. You cannot avoid failure. Right? Not trying is its own form of failure. Right. So if you go into the point where you're gonna really embrace failure as a part of learning, as a part of growing, as a part of succeeding, if you had like a pie chart right in front of you, the single largest ingredient of success would be failure. Ask Thomas Edison. Ask, you know, all these people that have done great things and they'll tell you. The greatest single ingredient of success is failure. So if we are, And so if you
0: can get used to it, if you, if you can, can, can psychologically be okay with it, let it roll off your back it, and go. And learning, learning
3: from it and being inspired by it instead of being defeated by it, that'll help you kind of take the next steps forward and not be completely smothered under this idea like, I can't do this.
0: So there you go. So now we've teased for you the Winter Olympics. (laughs) We joked after the interview, because the book comes out right now. It literally comes out right as people are going to hear this podcast. It comes out like next week, like 10 days from now the book comes out. And I joke, because he'll be at the Winter Olympics. Yeah. So I was like, you need to bring a case. It's a hardback book. You need to bring a case of these books. And then at the climax moment of a skating performance – just throw one of the books and slide it across the ice.
1: Because <laughs> then everybody will be like- Well, people are throwing teddy bears and flowers. That's why not, right. Why not something So Why not useful? throw a book
0: and trip the skater? <laughs> and then uh, you're going to do a short period of time in jail. Yeah. And you're going to sell a truckload of those yep. books. Hey, yep. just come to StoryBrain. We'll help you sell Yeah, things. I was
1: just going to say, we got this. You want <laughs> to build your this. business? We're here to help.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.